Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Raid, and I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I am pleased to be joined today by Dr. Anthony Gustin. Uh, Dr. Gustin is a doctor of chiropractic. Um, he's also a master of science, and he has several other letters behind his name, which I'm going to have to ask him about because I'm not 100% sure what they stand for. We have different uh, credentialing systems for different things in beautiful Canada, where I hail from, versus down in the US of A, where Dr. Gustin hails from. So I'll dig into that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so Dr. Gustin, uh, I've been following him on social media for a while, and I've actually started uh, listening to his podcast as well. Um, he um, has a uh, a podcast that was formerly known as the Keto Answers podcast, uh, where it talked a lot about the ketogenic diet and things related to that. Um, and then now his podcast is called the Natural State Podcast, which um, seems to have more to do with, uh, from from the episodes I've listened to, at least looking, you know, browsing through the titles and whatnot, um, seems to have more to do with um, regenerative agriculture, which I'm going to pick his brain about a little bit, because it's something I'm interested in and hope to do maybe someday uh, with my wife down the road when our kids are older and we're not running around <laughs> chasing kids all the time and uh, also me seeing patients all day. Um, so uh, hopefully I'll be able to talk a little bit about that too. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Dr. Gustin today is because um, I think that, I, I don't, not I think, um, I know that diet is hugely important for really everyone. Uh, the type and quality of fuel that we put into our body, i.e. food, is incredibly important and impactful on our health. And of course, where listeners of the podcast are generally affected by um uh, chronic illness in some way, or maybe were previously um, affected by chronic illness in some way. Um, I think it's you know especially important for folks who are struggling with different health issues to be um, you know mindful of making the best choices that they can for their diet. So of course, as per usual, we won't be offering any health advice uh, or diet advice uh, for that matter in this podcast. But um, I think that based on uh, Dr. Gustin's social media posts that I've seen over the course of time, um, he has a lot of useful information to pass on, and so I'm excited to. Uh, have a chat with them and see how it might apply to folks that are um, that I see in my practice. And, and hopefully you'll gain a lot from listening to our conversation. Uh, just before I pause the recording to bring Dr. Gustin into the chat, um, uh, just a quick reminder that if you haven't already signed up for my, for my uh, newsletter, um, the link to do so is in the um, uh, podcast show notes um, below or in the YouTube description below if you're accessing it on that platform. Um, if you sign up for my newsletter, then not only do you get to hear from me on a weekly basis, give or take, it's not always weekly, but on approximately a weekly basis about just things that I'm excited about in practice, new things that are coming across my radar. I'm always trying to keep my ear to the ground about the latest and greatest things. So always uh, you know, new and exciting things coming up on a regular basis. Um, but also by signing up for my podcast, or for my newsletter rather, you get uh, complimentary access to the first two modules of my Overcoming Chronic Illness course. Um, it is a, oh my gosh, I think it's an eight or nine module course now. You definitely get the first two um, modules for free. Um, but it basically goes over all the, um, in my opinion, one of the major, you know, most important topics in the world of complex chronic illness, things like mitochondrial dysfunction, mold illness, chronic infections with Lyme or co-infections, toxins like heavy metals, um, gut issues like SIBO, LIBO, yeast, parasites, etc. So um, it's quite a comprehensive overview of the different topics that relate to complex chronic illness. And within those um, um, uh, modules within the different uh, sections of the course, um, I get into the um, you know types of symptoms to look out for, uh, lab tests that are run, types of treatments that are used, the things that I found to be the most effective in my practice versus things that are not as effective in my experience. And then there's also, um, along with the course materials, these, as I call them, cheat sheets that you can pass on to your healthcare provider. So if you're working with someone, you're like, mm, Dr. So-and-so that I'm working with, you know, they're really helping me with my hormones, but they don't really seem to know a whole lot about mold. Well, here's the cheat sheet that kind of goes through the you know most important bullet points in my 
my opinion, at least of how to test for molds and treatment considerations and things like that. So um, anyways, uh, if you are interested in accessing that material, please uh, consider signing up for my uh, newsletter and um, I will leave it there until I bring Dr. Gustin into the conversation in just a minute. So please uh, hold tight. All right, everyone, I'm pleased to be joined now by Dr. Anthony Gustin. Uh, Dr. Gustin, thank, uh, welcome to the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. Uh, very happy to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and uh, just before we jump into things, would you mind just giving listeners a little bit of a brief bio of uh, you know how you got involved into the healthcare field, what kind of things you're, you're working with in your life these days, and maybe just give us a little sense of who you are, please. Yeah, I mean, the very short version is that I was very overweight and very sick when I was younger really wanted to focus on healthcare. So I sort of fast-tracked and got my doctorate in chiropractic, master's in sports rehab, but then focused a little bit more on functional medicine. Figured out that there was more ways to help people and learned what the internet was instead of doing more things on the internet, content, education, podcast, um, wrote a book, launched a few different businesses that help create products to help people have behavior, behavior change in areas that are otherwise very difficult to change. So that was like from a company called Perfect Keto, which helped people on board in a ketogenic diet. We have Equip Foods, which is you know real food supplements. And then things like Ion Layer, which I just launched, which is to be able to get high dose NAD to people who are struggling with chronic illnesses actually have been seeing some really remarkable results with that. And then stuff from like, you know, got into farming and was a farmer for a short while um, and just trying to keep figuring out why are people unhealthy and what can we do in scalable ways to help people get out of that trench. Um, uh, thank you for that uh, intro. And uh, yeah, I was meaning to add to my question list here as I was listening to one of your podcast uh, episodes and you mentioned about the um, the uh, ionophoresis for the NAD. It's like, oh, that's really, really fascinating because as you touched on in the uh, podcast of the little, um, you know, sort of promo you were doing for that. It's like, yeah, just, it sucks to get IV NAD. Like it can be really uncomfortable. Yeah. It takes forever. Like, so it just seems like a much more cost-effective, uh, yeah. Um, user-friendly way to access it. So that's, that's really great. Is, and is that a product? I, I can't remember now. Did you, uh, develop that yourself or like how, mm -hmm. how did that how you get involved with that? Yeah. So I went through a pretty huge health issue in the last couple of years. I had mold toxic mold. So stachybotrys, ketomium, some of these like quote unquote black molds. Ooh, yep. And my wife and I both got really sick. And it was one of these times where, you know, I thought I had all the answers and realized that I, I do not at all and became a student again and just really tried to build from the ground up an understanding of what went on in my body, how to fix myself. And through that, through the end, um, and I don't know how much you talk about these type of things, but you know, that your body needs energy to do things is very basic way to, to think about healing. And there's a couple of different ways to get energy. One is through ATP, through the mitochondria. Another one is just free electrons, which can cross a proton gradient into the cells, which kind of like creates a charge, almost like a battery. And so having free electrons is really important. And effectively what NAD does, NAD plus is carries around electrons and buffers free electrons. So your body can have more free electrons to use for more energy, for more processes to, to heal from certain things. Um, it's a naturally occurring compound that exists in our cells and our tissues. Um, it declines over age and it basically gets used up, so to speak. This is like a very basic form of, of how it all works, but it basically gets used up once you have any sort of macro or micro injuries. So if you have any chronic issues, um, your body effectively uses it up and tries to fix your cells with electrons. And so for me, adding in NADIVs was really impactful, getting sort of like 
it, it seems to be really effective for people who are at like 80% through, but still have some recalcitrant symptoms that are really nagging them, like some fatigue, brain fog, things like that, joint pain, et cetera, like really like feeling, you know, better, but not a hundred percent. Um, so I was getting IVs. They're very expensive, like 500 to $800 an IV. It feels like your insides are going through a meat grinder. You have to go to an IV clinic. You get stabbed in the arm. Like it's, it's just a terrible experience overall. And so iantophoresis was a, a type of technology that I use in my clinic actually to administer local uh, analgesics to joints. And so what it is basically is a way to use electricity to open up the pores of the skin to administrate um, compounds that otherwise need to be injected straight into the bloodstream. Because they're, if they're too big, if you have to consume them, the liver, liver will break them down and you can't just use a salve. And so what this technology does, it basically opens up the pores in the skin and can go straight into your blood bloodstream from there. What's really cool about now is that they have patches that are one-time use. So that way you can put a solution on one side, salt water on the other, open up the adhesive and there's a little battery in it. The battery has an electrical charge. So instead of having this big bulky machine from the seventies, from, you know, like a intense Russian like performance lab, um, there are these, you know, small patches you can use. And so I thought, well, why don't we use NAD and do this? So it was kind of a, a pain to build it back into the business. Cause there's a lot of, you know, basically the, you submit as a prescribing physician's network, it goes to a pharmacy and then ships out. And effectively what we'd be able to do is get the same IV dose, but you don't have any symptoms because it infuses over 12 hours instead of two or one. Mm -hmm. And it's about an eighth of the cost and you don't have to get stabbed in the arm. You have to go to an IV clinic. So it basically was like with a lot of the other things that I work on is, was a function of me wanting it to exist for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, some of the stuff that we're seeing as far as people getting over long COVID, people getting over, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome sort of things, um, recalcitrant gut issues, things like that, uh, mold, et cetera, has been like, I, I wouldn't have anticipated the amount of testimonials we're getting, but it's been, it's been pretty remarkable. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. Um, are there other, um, substances that like, were you in, in clinical practice before, like, were you using autophoresis for other things to be administered as well though? Um, it was, it was mostly for a joint pain. So I was working with a lot of pro athletes and sometimes getting them through certain ranges of motion without pain. So that way we could reprogram their body's movement patterns mm -hmm. would be really effective. So let's say that, you know, somebody has an issue with their elbow and can't go through proper repatterning with their, their arm. Cause they have inflammation in their joint. So if you, for example, would apply antiphoresis and get some like Russian stim and things like that around the joint you could get the pain level down and the inflammation down. So that way you could actually carry the joint through the full range of motion mm -hmm. to tell the brain and the nervous system, like, Hey, this is a safe thing to do now. Cause mm -hmm. otherwise you could, your body can get caught in these loops of overusing certain tissues, creating inflammation, which causes you to overuse certain tissues, which creates inflammation and you sort of need to break that cycle. So a lot of times we would do that to, to get in there and really do movement patterning in a different way, which was really effective. Okay. So you weren't actually administering a substance per se. You were just kind of using the iotophoresis. Yeah, I mean properties. things like acetaminophen and ibuprofen, oh, like okay, different okay, pain okay. and oh, gotcha. reducers like okay. that lo locally. So it can be a very local effect as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, and so with the, um, the uh, <clears throat> sorry, it's called Ion NAD. Is that the product? Yeah, the company's called Ion Layer. But Ion yeah, Layer, okay. using NAD right now, but... Okay. And uh, I just, I want to put a link to uh, how folks can access that in the show notes. So um, is that linked through your, uh, can they access that through your website or is there a separate um, website? Yeah. 
I, I'm not really good at prom promoting stuff, um, but it's mm -hmm. if you go to ionlayer.com, you can you can find that. Um, okay. And it's for sure like I I'm not trying to sell anything, and that's not what I came on to show to chat with you about. It's just sure. usually the things that I'm interested in, um, and it's not a magic pill for sure. So mm -hmm. I just want to give caveats of like we've seen amazing things from it. I have had great benefit, but it's not like some magic thing is going to fix all of your health problems. Mm -hmm. I would never want people to think that even in like the other products that we sell, like. You should really master a lot of fundamental, you know, diet, nutrition, and sleep, community, emotional health, mental health before you start spending money on stuff to sort of like tweak the last percent. So, I think that's the most important thing to focus on is diet, lifestyle, sort of like day to day foundational habits. It's like for sure, like spend the time and energy doing that if you don't have that mastered. And this is kind of like tweaking things in the last couple percent. Right. Yeah. Thank, thanks. You. Thanks for putting that into perspective. And like, I've certainly had patients where they come in saying like, I want IV NAD as we, we do that in our clinic here. And it's like, if you don't have other things in place, like it's, it's probably not really going to do a whole heck of a lot. So I appreciate you yeah. giving that uh, background and, and uh, yeah, I also appreciate you. Like, I certainly didn't come on saying, Hey, I want to push this product, but I know people <laughs> will like, they'll message it's me that and, way. Like, complain if I don't ask. So yeah, they just, people want to know where they can access things. So th thanks for passing that on. I'll, yeah, I'll put yeah. it in the show notes. Um, well, I, I very much want to pick your brain about, uh, just what we briefly talked about in the, um, uh, that, you know, kind of before we started recording, uh, just where, um, you mentioned how you, you know, with your own uh, health journey, like, you know, kind of catalyzed by mold toxicity and you found there's, you know, diet's important, but there's a whole lot of other things that would be, you know, as important or maybe more important depending on what it is. So, um, maybe if it's right with you, we can just kind of jump right into that. Cause I'd, yeah, I'd really like to hear what you have to say. So if you don't mind giving us a little bit of a background and some of the lessons you learned, that would be really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I think with everything in context, I, I think I am most focused on generally my experience and what I've gone through. And so I don't ever mean that it has to be a prescription of like, you should think the way I think this is just my journey. I think everybody's journey is different. And I think that you can take different journeys and end up in the same spot. So sure. I think I just found getting really obsessed with health outcomes, physical health outcomes, especially even before I had the mold issue, the more I figured out like studies, mechanisms, data, trackers, all this type of stuff. It wasn't actually getting me to a point I wanted to be in my life. And I think that there's a common misconception right now that like you get the aura ring, you get the Apple watch, you get, you know, tracker X, Y, or Z, you'll get a better score. Your life will be better. And I think that like, there needs to be a redefinition around what we're actually optimizing for. And is it a score on a sheet? Is it a lab test marker that we're going for? What does quality of life actually mean to an individual? Mm -hmm. And what life do you want to live? And what's important to you? And I think that oftentimes that part of it is ignored. And I sort of threw all that out the window for a long time and tried to focus on maximizing all of these health markers and focusing on you know biology and physical health and it didn't make me happier. It didn't make my life better. It didn't like, it didn't lead to any richness. It didn't lead to more connection. It didn't lead to more love. It didn't lead to me being a better, you know, husband or son. Like it, some of these things that I, I, I think are far more important than optimizing entirely about physical health mm -hmm. really, really put in a back burner for a long time for me and mold and getting healthy through that, like put things for certainly into perspective of like, sometimes there is a time to focus entirely in, on physical health. If you're recovering from, or in going through a chronic health issue, for sure, it's important to really focus on that. But 
I think that life is also much more than just trying to optimize markers, which I think people get caught into quite a lot with the health influencer network is very much like you must do X, Y, or Z thing, or else you're going to die, which creates a lot of fear instead of talking about the richness of life beyond managing physical health. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of, kind of uh, putting some of those things on the back burner, like not being worried about the markers and this and that. So like what um, in, in practice, like what did that, if you don't mind sharing, like, what did that look like for you? Like, what were you putting your, well, what were you uh, taking your, if you don't mind giving maybe some, a couple of little examples of like, what were you taking your energy away from uh, with not chasing the metrics and then what were our markers or whatnot? And what were you putting your energy into that ultimately wound up being a better mix for you? The way I think about all this stuff is reflective of the podcast name that I have, which is the natural state. I think that mm -hmm. the natural state of any organism is health. And it's not something that needs to be managed. And it's all about recreating an environment that is matched for our genes. And it's very easy in my mind. It's very simple. It's not easy to, to pull off at sometimes, but like recreating a natural physical environment is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. You have eat real food that's in season, sleep deeply, get outside in the sunlight as much as you can and don't see screens outside and move a bunch. Those are the kind of like the, the main pillars of like recreating a physical environment. And once you switch lifestyle into doing that again, like it's easy for me to say now when I was a teenager, I was eating Doritos and hot pockets and all these things. And like it, now I hunt most of my own food and go to farmer's markets and only buy from local farmers. It wasn't like a, a, a snap of my fingers. And then I started doing that every night or every day. And the same thing goes with each of those patterns of like, it's, it's very hard to change your lifestyle at some point, but those are the things I think that very easy to focus on. But once that happens, I just don't think there's a lot you can refine and spend a lot of time trying to tweak things within that, but really it's about setting up your environment. So that way you get the sort of like physical health taken care of. You don't really have to think about it that much. So if you're doing a lot of active things, if you're spending a lot of time in the sun, if you're not getting a lot of blue light exposure, especially at night, if you're eating real food that's in season, you kind of have it all like your, your body's going to, take care of itself generally, but there's an entirely different set of psychological and social parameters that create a normal human environment that are very hard to replicate in the modern world. And so it's the, the way we live our lives in the Western world, especially we don't live our lives in community. We don't have any purpose. Generally, we don't have any autonomy. We don't have a lot of skills that are actually being used in our day-to-day -day community. Like we don't provide a lot of value to people that we actually have connection with. Um, we don't have a lot of spiritual connection. And these are some of the things that I've been more interested in. We don't, we don't have a way to process or unearth emotions that are buried inside. We don't have any example of ritual. Like these things are just completely missing in our culture hundred percent gone that were part of our humanity for hundreds of thousands of years. And so this is like now my version of like trying to piece together what this sort of natural state would be for a human. And I don't think it's as easy to, to look at other species because humans have been very specific in like how they relate and they're very, like we're very social creatures. Mm -hmm. And how do you rebuild that in a modern world is like very weird and challenging. 
it's already weird enough if you're the person who's not eating Doritos in the hot pockets, you know, mm -hmm. like you, it, if you're all of your friends do that and you start eating real food and cooking all of your food and not going out and eating white castle or whatever, like it's, it can be very challenging to, to make that shift. Mm -hmm. Now when we're talking about truly living in community, having spiritual practices, being in connection, like being out in nature more, like having different relationships with different people, having purpose, being value oriented, it's very hard to make that shift. But I think that for me, optimizing all the physical health stuff, I felt like I had one piece of like a very giant puzzle down and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm still missing a vast majority of stuff here. And so for me, I'm looking more for a return to wholeness. And I've, I've gotten glimpses of this now, like getting into hunting, getting into farming, being part of actual communities, having more of a spiritual practice, th things that I didn't value a lot because they're, they're not talked about and people like generally don't bring these things all together into a bigger puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a messy sort of way to build life back in that sense. But those are the things that more I'm focusing on. And even like healing back from mold, when you're knocked down from a physical health perspective, when, when all you care about is, is physical health, it's like you're on a one-legged stool. And if that leg gets cut out from you, like you, you, you get thrown into a psychological chaos pretty quickly. It's very easy to get lost. And if you had now a chair with three, four, five, six legs and you lose the physical one, it's not as disorienting. And so through the process of going through the mold stuff, I realized like I was just relying entirely on my identity, focusing on physical health issues, physical health being in abundance. And then it was taken away from me and I had nothing. And so trying to build back pieces in a more robust way so that I have more resilience from an actual experience of being alive as a human. And maybe this is getting a little esoteric and maybe not extremely practical, but th no. this is kind of like the, the shift of focus that I've had moving forward. And yeah, I certainly don't have it figured out personally, but this is more of like what's taking up a lot of my bandwidth mentally. Yeah. Uh, that's, Awesome. And the, the, uh, stool analogy works really well. I mean, stool analogies have applied to so many different things, but that's, that's yeah, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. And actually one of the questions I was going to ask you, and I, I think you kind of answered it with the stool, but uh, I'll just, I'll just ask it anyways, cause I uh, maybe could expand a little bit more, um, based on what you're saying, as I was going to say, oh, well, you know, if, um, so you hadn't had the mold toxicity exposure, like, would you, do you think that doing all the things you've been doing about, about like, you know, um, finding more community and getting rituals in your life and having more spirituality and spiritual practice and providing value and whatnot with your actions. Um, do you feel like you would have needed those things had you not, um, had the mold toxicity, but based on what you're saying, it sounds like, um, if you were to go back in time, didn't have the mold exposure issue, had you been doing all the things that you're doing now, you probably would have felt better, more fulfilled, et cetera, you know, even without having had the mold illness in the first place as a catalyst. Is that fair to say, or what, what are your yeah, thoughts? I on? think that like on paper, my life is pretty good. I mm -hmm. still felt before mold stuff, I still felt a tremendous amount of emptiness and maybe that's just me. And again, that's why I try not to be prescriptive with this stuff. Like this is just my experience. Sure. It doesn't mean that other people are going through that. And if people feel totally full, that's great. What I often get the sense of is that people don't have a different perspective. They've only lived life a certain way or have only been around lives that were lived a certain way. And so they don't even know how much more rich it can be. And I just have this deep sense of like something is missing. This is like a very empty way of living life. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I had like a little bit of a search for something more like there has to be something more than this to, to being alive. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I think like that has seemed like a commonality to a lot of my friends who have gone through the same path of like mastering physical health, so to speak, and like maxing out all the markers, having work success. And it's like, okay, well, well what now? Mm-hmm. And that it can be very empty and very lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's just where like, I was already, I think on a path to try to figure some of these things out before I think the mole just kicked, kicked me in behind and, and set me on a path a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I have several questions I want to ask you kind of following up on some of the things you said, I've been taking notes here. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, maybe I'll just ask you about this first, cause there, there's a few kind of categories of questions I'd like to ask you. Um, would you mind just giving some examples of, uh, just from your own, from your own journey, um, like around like what what have you done again anything you feel don't feel comfortable sharing don't don't of course but um just around like building more community um say having rituals in your life um you know doing things that provide more value like would you be able to just maybe give some examples of what some of those things have looked like in your life like what are some of the rituals for example that you um have now or or what kind of things were where in what ways are you kind of what things have you done to kind of build more community or whatnot yeah i think one of the main things that people miss about community. I think it's a, it's a word that has become plastic in which that there's many different definitions for it at this point. And the core of it that I think is missing is dependence on one another. I think that people, especially in cities can have a friend group of similar socioeconomic backgrounds, similar interests and call themselves a community. Mm-hmm. And it just means that they're friends that like the same things. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily define that as a community as far as what humans would need. And farming was a way where I realized the utility of a web of people that were a true community, meaning that people, the way I define it is people who are, there's something that exists above them or beyond them that will exist after they go. And so with our farming community, for example, it's the overarching thing is providing food for the community. And within that, generally what you have are dependencies on one another. So I couldn't do a lot of the things at my farm without the help of the people around me. I literally wouldn't have been able to do it. Whereas Mm -hmm. the community that is defined in a city in most Western places is like, you all just show up and hang out and then you leave. And then if you're all dead, like it doesn't carry on without you. Like there's, there's no need to actually do things for each other. We've abstracted all of the need dependency to strangers by money. For example, I can go on my Uber apps, Uber eat app. I can get a task grab. I can like pay somebody to do moving for me. I can do whatever. And I think that like that leads to a certain level of social fabric that deteriorates, that doesn't really lead to security in, in an emotional status. So, I mean, another way I saw this is I stayed with this hunter-gatherer tribe, the Hadza in Tanzania a couple years ago. And it was very clear that everybody had a certain set of skills. And if you take one or two people out, like it's, it's, it's known. Oh, the guy who can't, the guy who's best at making airheads isn't here. Like that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a feeling of feeling valuable to a community of being dependent on, but also being able to depend on others. That is a core function of human psychology, of feeling enough, feeling grounded, feeling secure, which is a very important thing, I think, to then go out in the world and do things, to feel best in physical health, to be the best version of yourself, to have that sort of like, 
I know I got my people here that will help me out when I need it. And having that example and also being the person that helps people out when they need it, like that dynamic is so rare now. And I think that just having conversations with some friends of mine, I just moved to Bend, Oregon, um, and I have some really good friends here. All right. And for example, the other day, my friend had to meet a moving truck and he has a 12 year old daughter and I went and picked her up and hung out with her and like helped him out on that way. He helped me out with moving the week before. And, and like we could have in our modern time said, oh, I'll just get a babysitter. Oh, I'll just hire a moving truck. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are things that like we tell ourselves a story of efficiency says you should just hire these things out. It's actually not, it's like taboo to ask friends for help. When really the irony is that having this dependency and having friendships where you actually do things for each other creates a different type of a social dynamic where you can actually relax into it and be the full expression of yourself. So that's one, one like very brief example of just like community and how I think like we're missing relating with each other. And I, I, again, like I don't have it figured out completely. We're trying to figure out like, what does that look like ultimately in a modern world? Like, I, I don't, I don't have the answers to that, but this is where we're trying to like piece it together and one thing at a time. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's a great example. And um, I, I mean, just as you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, we have some good friends that have a, you know, a small farm, like it's their full-time job, but they, they have a regenerative agriculture farm. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, whenever I see like, oh, we don't have enough rain in the forecast. Like I'm thinking about my friends because it's like, Hey, like we want them to be able to grow the food, like, you know, for their sake, their livelihood, but for ours too, they have amazing eggs with their free range chickens, all that. And like, just, um, whereas previously it's like, oh no, like, or like, oh yeah, it's not raining. Like I, I can have unadulterated weekend plans, but now it's like, no, like I'm, I'm thinking more about that just as a small you know, example of maybe community in my life. So I feel like maybe there's a little bit of parallel with what you're talking about. Um, but that's, that's really great. Um, w- would you mind um, just speaking a bit to the ritual side of things? I, I think, I think the whole topic's fascinating. And the fact that you're like, you know, trying to figure this out, or you're in the process of figuring this out, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about it. Um, so do you mind speaking a bit to the ritual um, aspect of things? Yeah, rituals are interesting. I, my background is very much scientific evidence-based rationalist hardcore again that made me nihilistic and depressed as far as like my experience of being alive and i think that most people cast off rituals as superstition oh we don't have evidence that this does anything therefore it's just superstition and we shouldn't do that because we're an advanced society that depends on science and reason and this is just dumb artifact of how we used to live as simple cavemen And I used to think that way. And now I realize how absolutely idiotic that is and how powerful ritual is. One of the big things that showed me that I was already like, kind of like going this direction, but getting married and like going through the process of having a wedding with my now wife, obviously, uh, was one of the most powerful moments of my life. We spent a lot of time thinking about very specific ways of how we wanted to like create a ritual around it instead of just like, kind of typical and no judgment to like people who do traditional weddings of like either in a church or whatever, you walk down the aisle, you do the thing everybody else does. I think that when you kind of tune in every couple probably would have their spin that they don't want to do on it. And I think that it's a tragedy that most families pressure people, society pressures people to like do it a certain way. We have all these vestiges of of ritual throughout our our society, 
graduations, birthday parties, retirements, like all these sort of things that were like used to be rites of passages to a different type of life, especially moments of transition. And now they've all kind of been bastardized and are just copies of a copy of a copy. We spent a lot of time figuring out um, how we want it to be and why. And so there's a lot of intention put into it. And I thought until the ceremony that we were just having an expensive party. Like, why do we, do we really mm -hmm. need to do this or whatever? I got, my wife insisted and she kept pushing for it. And thank, thank her for that. And then when we got back, we walked in together. So we had a circle of, of people around. We didn't do like aisles. We had a circle of people. And then within that circle, we had a circle of flowers that we stepped into. And it was at our farm that we built together. So there was a lot of meaning there. But as soon as I walked into that circle of people, I felt this like, almost like vortex of energy. It felt like I had taken like 10 grams of mushrooms. It was mm -hmm. very powerful and like shifted my consciousness in a way like I had never experienced that before, totally sober. Wow. Started weeping. And I was like, I'm not feeling sad. Like what is going on? And then had this experience of, as we were going through our vows specifically, like this felt like this movement of energy from my parents and my family to us. And like, it was just this beautiful, like it was like a different reality almost. It was an intense experience. And then after that, it was like very obvious, like, oh, this is why people do ritual the way they do. Like I had experienced like some stuff to that point like had been opening my perspective to the importance of it. Um, I just went through a, a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, recommended mm -hmm. by my friend Kate Cavanaugh. If you've ever on the podcast, she's incredible. But it talks in that one a lot about grief rituals, which also used to be a part of our culture. And I think like if you have, it's another one of these things, like if you haven't experienced a powerful ritual. It's like really hard to imagine that these things that you say are saying are actually possible, but it's about creating intentionality in a container that when you're in it, like the experience is different than what would happen if you were not there. And so this book is all about grief rituals. And there's a lot of science in this book that's, that's just talked about like our culture does not value the the emotion of grief and we have no way to process it so basically it gets like these emotions get clogged up and not being able to process them leads to a lot of chronic health issues and things like that and how doing them in a, in a ritualistic way and he, he gives a bunch of examples in the book of how they've set up rituals mm -hmm. allows these emotions to move through to be able to get processed and released in certain ways otherwise the body literally holds on to them and that can manifest in different ways physiologically. And again, this is stuff that I would have heard myself say seven, eight, 10 years ago, I would have laughed. I mean, mm -hmm. it sounds crazy, but science is catching up. And again, like the way I generally think, think about things is tier one is what is an ancestral like um, precedent here? Do we used to do these things like f just from a, a like a, fundamental like, like should we get sunlight on our skin like you're not going to argue with me that sun is bad for our skin and you have to have sunscreen like that kind of thing is just absurd then the next tier for me before we get to science is have humans in many other cultures throughout all of human history done some version of this like there's probably some wisdom there that they figured out over time that like i should be doing hmm. and then the next one are like studies research evidence whatever it seems to be that all the research that is actually that stays around that doesn't swap ends up just reinforcing the, the previous two things of like 
a lot of the things about circadian biology is like, yes, we're getting into the weeds now around how you need to be outside during certain times of day or whatever, but it ends up just kind of reinforcing, like we need to be outside. Same thing with like eating real food, eating food in season. Like I think this, I think the same thing about ritual emotions, all these things that most cultures have figured out way like, oh shit, these emotions are like clogged. We need to figure out a way to like process them in community because this is mm-hmm. looking at the unit as an ecosystem and an ecology of like, we're, we're not individuals. We are together. We need to help this person who's having a hard time work through this thing. Like there was ritual around that to facilitate those emotional releases. Mm-hmm. That was the main mechanism in which we have done that for literally deep time, like time and moral. So yeah, I think it's, again, like, what does that look like in a practical day-to-day basis right now? I don't know. I don't know, but being more intentional about it is something that like, I'm, I'm starting to dive into. This is why I read this book and just trying to figure out different ways to integrate ritual now. And I think it could be as simple as, I mean, again, you look at something as most religions have blessings before every meal. Mm-hmm. Most people who are evidence-based throw it out like, oh, again, superstition, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. That's a transition of food that becomes you. And that could be a time you don't have to be religious to be able to like stop and ritualize the food becoming you, which is pretty crazy when you think about that as like an energetic thing that happens. Like you literally eat things and then it becomes you. It's pretty wild. It is. That's, that's worth like slowing down. I think something like appreciating. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of like, when I was going through the mold thing, had a big issue. Like I was talking to a lot of people who healed from that stuff. And their testimonials were very much like, once I started to like really appreciate everything about the healing journey and like what went into my body and having gratitude for it, everything changed. Wow. And it wasn't a one time thing. Like I heard dozens of people say stuff like that. Yeah. So again, like that's an intentional ritual about the food transforming into being you. So. And uh, even taking it one step back further, the fact that like we, the food is ultimately energy from the sun that's been converted into food essentially. Right. So it's Crazy. like even more of like, whoa, it's like taking the sun into me in this, you know, delicious pork chop I'm eating or whatever it is. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah and and uh, just uh, speaking for my own life, like my, uh, my wife and I, like neither one of us, you know, are practicing of any particular like religious faith or whatnot, but we're interested in spirituality, et cetera. And like about, it's probably a year ago now we said, you know, we're just going to start, we call it just saying the words before meals. And, you know, we just thank all the, um, you know, plants and animals, fungi, uh, bacteria, other organisms that went into baking the food and just kind of let, you know, asking for it to nourish our bodies and minds and spirits. And we just had like, say these words and we all go around the table, say something we're thankful for. And it's like, you know, it's, it's secularized, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, something that lets us connect with our food. Um, the fact that we're like actively appreciating our food, it's like, Hey, like, you know, I'm going to maybe care more about my farmers, you know, where, where the food's actually coming from, caring more about the environment because kind of feeling that connection. So, um, as you were alluding to, like, it doesn't have to have a religious undertone to, and it can obviously nothing wrong with that, but, um, it, it yeah, could really be something that applies to anyone. And that, that ritual, like we just do it all the time now in our our 17 year old, you know, he really wanted no part of it. And like maybe three or four months ago, he's like now actively participating. It's just, I don't know. It's something that uh, I think the ritual kind of uh, gets under your skin in a good way, I think. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, would, would you mind uh, just telling me again, the name of the book with about the grief rituals? Cause I want to include that in the show notes as well and check it out. Yeah. The, the wild edge of sorrow is the book by Francis Weller. Okay. Wild edge of sorrow. Okay, great.
Thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see here, Dr. Gustin. I'm, uh, I really appreciate, uh, the conversation so far. I was not where I thought the uh, interview was going to go, but it's, uh, it's, it's been great. So I'm, I'm really enjoying our chat. I, I know we don't have a ton of time left, so I'm thinking maybe I'm just going to ask you one uh, bit of advice. Cause I, I do try to bring, um, you know, as much as possible, like kind of some practical recommendations for folks as well, who are listening to the podcast, things they can take away. Like, I think just listening to you talk about your journey, your process, I, I think it's valuable in and of itself. But I guess the question that's kind of been percolating in my mind as we've been chatting is, um, so, you know, say, you know, someone's at home right now, you know, they're listening to this interview, um, you know, and they're, you know, say suffering from mold illness or, or chronic Lyme disease or whatever it happens to be, they really don't have enough energy to get off the couch. You know, they're working on things on a physical health level, but um, if they're thinking like, yeah, you know, if I was to kind of work on bolstering some of the other legs on my stool, which, you know, to some extent require a certain amount of physical um, ability, but, you know, even if someone's really quite down and out, they can probably work on those things as long as they can communicate, read, you know, think, et cetera. Um, are the, I was wondering if there's any um, sort of uh, like first step advice, like it sounds like maybe reading um, the book that you mentioned, like would be something to consider looking at. Um, but are, are there any other bits of advice if you were to knowing everything, you know, now, if you were to go back in time and, you know, heaven forbid you were, um, you know, like, or if, if you were, if you were down and out health wise at this point in time, um, as you're kind of, you know, bringing your health back up, like what kind of advice would you give yourself to build those other stool eggs um, beyond say reading a book like uh, the wild edge of sorrow? I think that the image of the stool legs reinforces something I don't like about how we view balance in our lives, where that balance is an equalized representation of all things. Mm -hmm. And I don't view my life that way. I think that you know, my, my wife actually wrote an essay about this regarding the word balance and the in the English language is taken very much as in equanimity between things, mm -hmm. whereas balance in Portuguese is taken from a sense of like ban of like fluidity, fluidity back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I view all of these other pieces of life that I'm trying to like put, put together in a different format. And I think for each individual, there is this fluidity of balance that I think once you reflect and take time for yourself to understand like wh where am I at in these things, it can be illuminating. It sometimes it's like very obvious of your know, physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, personal things like community, purpose and work. Am I being of service places? Like, do I have any of these habits? Where am I at? What feels lacking to me? And then diving in the deep enough of that thing. Instead of trying to hear what somebody like myself says, giving yourself an option to trust your own process and reflection of what you need and start blocking out the rest of the world. And once you get clear on that, then go out and search for the answers that you're looking for. And instead of like trying to get random advice from random people, I think that the core truth is easy to find if you spend time with your own body. And again, like this is something that I would find to be absolutely insane to hear 10 years ago. But the more I've spent time just reflecting in solitude and journaling, where am I at? What do I care about? What do I want moving forward? Then getting clear about those things and then researching and getting deep into ritual or community or whatever, instead of looking at somebody else's list, 
It's like, oh, I probably should have X, Y, or Z because this person has it hmm. and they have an outcome I want. I don't think that ever works for the individual, honestly. And so I think that if there's one thing somebody could do in a, like a down and out place, it's honestly just to reflect and spend time without devices, without external inputs, not reading books or podcasts, and just tuning in to what is like a deep pull for you. And then going after that and like looking where you're at, seeing where you're standing and taking one step in front of the other. That to me is the most powerful thing for the individual. So that's, uh, you know, if I have any piece of advice, it'd be, it'd be that. It's a good piece of advice. Yeah. And if, and if, if you came out saying, Hey, these are the five steps it'd be like, well, that's <laughs> be suspect, you know, it's, yeah, there aren't, you know, it's going to be an individual journey for everyone, of course. So that's, uh, that's a, that's well, a very, good answer. I've just gone through, I, I, I've been totally guilty of this in the past and I just have seen that not work of this is what's worked for me. You should do it too. And I think that mm -hmm. humans that comes up because people want to be helpful and they find something that's worked for them and they, they see somebody in pain and suffering and they want to help as much as they can. But that's just what I've experienced not to be the help, the helpful thing. The most helpful thing is like, Hey, here's what worked for me, but what, where are you at and where do you want to go? And like, what, like, how can we help support you to walk your own path? instead of trying to see where I am and where I've gone and do that same thing, it just like, doesn't, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think we can get inspiration from the stories and words of other people, but you know, ultimately we're going to have our own unique path, of course. So makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe just in the last little bit of time we have left, um, <clears throat> if you don't mind, I did want to just ask you a couple of questions is a little, little more, a little less esoteric, a little more like just around the nutrition aspect of things. Okay. If you don't mind, I, I just had a few questions and, uh, just, I know you've had some really great uh, guests on your podcast previously, uh, like, uh, Paul Saladino and Mark Hyman and Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield and just folks who talk about, I think, a lot of things that are are very useful to folks, um, like on a you know physical health level. Um, and I'm just wondering, like at this point in time, kind of given everyone you've talked to, what you found to be applicable to you when you were working more with you know patients in the past yourself, like um, uh, at, at this point in time, um, uh, what would and bearing in mind we're you know not giving anyone health advice here just for informational purposes only, um, would you be able to speak to what you feel like um, some of the elements of like the the healthiest type of diet would include? Um, Maybe just using that as kind of rough, uh, rough template for the question. Uh, what, what would you kind of convey around like healthy choices for the diet? Um, I'm, I'm ascertaining based on what you said, there's maybe not a one size fits all diet for everybody, uh, but what are some healthy features of a diet um, that you would consider? Oh boy, this is a, this can, this can go many different directions for sure. And again, not try to be prescriptive at all. I think that I try to look at it as far as heuristics again, if, what does it look like rebuilding that natural environment? So that way you don't have to think about it and manage it anymore. And the environment sort of manages health for you. Mm -hmm. um, we're the only living thing that has to figure out what we should be eating, which is kind of weird when you think about it, isn't it? It's pretty weird. Yep. The only living thing that needs to think about this period that needs to manage it and intentionally spend time focusing on this. And so I try to make it as simple as humanly possible and like have it be part of my environment and create limits in myself. And so I can talk about how I do that, but in general, I think a good way to think about it is what, like, what is food truly? Most people think it's just things that they can ingest and not feel sick from. And I think that it's, in me, in my mind, it's living 
matter, plants or animals that is decaying that will like cannot be consumed if it's on your counter for more than two weeks. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't meet that threshold, like, is it really food? Like, do you want to become that? Talking about this like, translation from sun to plant to animal to us and all this type of stuff. You're sort of disrupting that if it's this thing that can be locked away forever in a cabinet and then package. Mm -hmm. And so like, does it spoil essentially is a good question to ask if you don't have this foundation of, of food. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, I think the next level is does this fit mine? Like, is this a local or seasonal food? And I try to get most of my food that way. And the challenging lifestyle switch, like I said before, like some of these things can be really challenging to switch into a new lifestyle because you have so many habits that are reinforced around it. Mm -hmm. The science very much supports and is getting to the point where like local and seasonal, like makes sense on so many different levels from evidence. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't need evidence to tell me that, but it's like a reinforcing element of this. Mm -hmm. Most people don't like to give up pineapple in January or whatever example you want to use. But for example, there's, yeah, it's starting to dig into this stuff and be really curious about it. Of if you're in Northern latitudes where the UV isn't high in the winter and the UV index isn't high, a lot of fruit has high amount of deuterium, which is basically heavy hydrogen. And to be able to extract energy from it, you need to have UV light to take the deuterium off to extract the energy from the fruit. And so it just like, it goes with the climate and it makes it harder for your body to process fruit just from that level among a bunch of different levels. And so it's just like, makes sense to me. Like I'm going to eat food that is more in season to where I am locally. And so I go to farms, I go to farmer's markets. I go to stores that the food is sourced locally. Uh, and sometimes it's not easy for everybody. So like, I'm not trying to be some sort of idealist and thinking like everybody needs to eat this way. Oftentimes it can be cheaper, uh, but that's kind of like the next level. And the level beyond that is I think generally in that spectrum, you can start figuring out like, what do I like? Does my body like more plants? Does it like more animal products? I don't think that there's an extreme and like only human diet. We've so much evidence of people around the world Humans are very adaptable with their nutrition and can eat many different things. So I'm not like very strict on hard plant-based or hard animal-based. I do much better on an animal-based diet with plants for sure. I eat plants. Like there's no question about that, but like more animal products makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. uh, and then having a connection to your food, talking about the ritual, talking about the prayer and you know, non-religious prayer, but even like knowing where your food comes from. If you can get into hunting or fishing, if you can know your farmer, if you can go participate in some of this stuff, like I was saying before, like there's, a, there's this transition from the food to being you. And the more you can participate in that, the more wholeness comes in, the more respect for the food, the more the lifestyle becomes an easier shift. And I saw this a lot with people who were killed their first animal and doing like turkey harvest for Thanksgiving, for example, like going through the, the whole cycle of death, butchering, cooking, it becoming you, even like raising it, participating with it. So if you want to get really into the weeds, that's rather like the most impactful diet and nutrition is the one that you can be involved with the most. Mm -hmm. And so then that like each one of these things like kind of checks off every previous box. So if you're eating the food that you can harvest or kill yourself, that's going to be local seasonal food, which is going to be food that spoils. And so there's like, there's an infinite amount of nuance to this stuff like that's kind of like those three buckets in my mind are like that's if people go on that journey and like eat food that spoils then eat local seasonal 
then go into like procuring or in being involved in the food system themselves. Like that fixes a lot with diet and nutrition while like the whole time, like I said, around like people just tune in and see how they feel about it. Do I feel better eating this? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. I think is, is better than thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm like really good friends with all these, these people. Like everybody has like, oh, this thing's going to kill you. This thing's the best for you. This is a superfood. This is a, a poison essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, listen to your body. Like there's reasons why people say this and there's reason why people are different. It's because it, it stuff does work differently for different people. Absolutely. Yep. Great. Well, thank you for chiming in on that. Um, and uh, Dr. Gustin, just to where we only have a couple of minutes left here with our time together. Um, I'm just wondering, um, are there any um, kind of parting thoughts or things that you were, um, you'd like to share with listeners um, before we start to wind things down? Yeah, I think if people are listening to this, you know, like you said, it's people maybe who are struggling with chronic health issues, dealing with that. There is like, there is a tremendous ability for the body to heal. And I've seen a lot of people get caught into victim mentality, assumed by fear and worry. And like, yes, it's hard. I've been there. I was there with mold myself mm-hmm. and just know, like it, stick it out, keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other and be, try to be positive as much as possible. It's like such that type of mindset will carry you further than like any sort of like health advice, I think. I've definitely seen that as a trend in my practice, like the folks who have the kind of most optimistic outlook, they're, you know, more, you know, upbeat about things, roll with the punches. Like I can say that beyond a doubt, they seem to have the shortest uh, journey to getting well uh, compared to folks who are maybe not fitting that description. And it can be easier said than done based on your personality type and past trauma and living circumstances. You have a supportive, you know, spouse or family, et cetera. Like there's so many variables that go into it. So it could be very much easier said than done, but I, I couldn't agree more uh, with what you're saying. It's uh, seems to be a real asset as well. Um, uh, just before we, uh, um, sign off here, Dr. Gustin, um, I know you've, I know you did not come onto the podcast to advertise things, but, uh, just as a personal favor to me so that I don't have to field, you know, questions from folks who comment on the YouTube video and email me directly. Uh, would you mind just sharing if, uh, like I know you mentioned, uh, that you wrote a book, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll link to as well. Um, uh, I'll link to the uh, ion layer website. Um, are, are there any other, um, uh, ways that folks can access you either from like products that you're, uh, uh putting out there or other things you've written or uh, ways that folks can interact with you. I'll, I'll certainly link to your Instagram page as well and to your uh, podcast, but any other uh, ways that folks can access more of you if they're so inclined? Yeah. I think the thing that's probably a biggest jumping off point is the podcast of so the natural state podcast. Um, sure. And then beyond that, I have a newsletter at dranthonygustin.com slash the feed. Okay. People want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, right. yeah, there's just, you know, there's a lot of random stuff that I'm doing. So just peep into whatever I'm up to and you find something interesting, feel free to send me a question on Instagram. I try to get to as many comments as possible, um, DMs and stuff like that. So feel free to reach out and say hi and ask any questions there and I'll do my best to get back to you. Amazing. And uh, just to say, like, I've only had a chance to listen to a couple of the Natural State podcast episodes, but I've uh, really enjoyed them uh, so far. Like, there's a litany, I think you have what 100 and between that and your Keto Answers podcast, like, I think it's 175-ish episodes. I have last track, I don't know. Okay, well, I, I looked the other day, so yeah. I, I think it's around 175. So yeah, quite a back catalog, but yeah, lot, lots of uh, lots of great content in there for what I can tell. So thank you for putting out such great content. And thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks to everyone uh, who tuned into this episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. Uh, Please stay tuned for the next episode and we'll leave it there for now.